We are in the 12th week of a sermon series on the biblical book of Daniel. Through the life of Daniel, we are trying to understand the process by which our identities are being formed. And this is a very simple and yet powerful truth that we must always remember. If we are not intentional in building the identity we desire to have, the world will shape us into an identity that we perhaps do not want to have. You know, as followers of Jesus, God is calling us to an identity that is in the image and the likeness of Christ Jesus. But the world would rather have us grow into an identity that is very unlike Jesus. And so identity formation is an everyday battle. But why is the life of Daniel, who lived actually about 2,600 years ago, why is, why is his life so helpful to us in our battle for the formation of our identities here and now? It's helpful because Daniel, like us, also lived in a culture where it was quite challenging to be a follower of Jesus. He lived and served under many powerful kings who actively persecuted Daniel for his faith. And yet, his identity as a believer and a follower of the God of the Bible remained strong and steadfast despite many attacks and despite many temptations of power. If this is your first time in a church or you've just walked into the series, here is the story so far. Quick two-minute recap. When Daniel was in his teens, he was taken captive and a slave by a king named Nebuchadnezzar. And Nebuchadnezzar did not believe in Jesus. He did not believe in the God of the Bible. And as much as Nebuchadnezzar tried, he could not alter Daniel's identity. Instead, in the end, uh, he actually ended up taking on Daniel's identity, and this great and powerful king began to worship the God of this slave, the God of this captive, Daniel's God. And as part of the series last week, we began our journey through Daniel chapter 5. And we saw last week the story take a shift. King Nebuchadnezzar, who had taken Daniel captive, was dead. A few more kings came and went until a king named Bel Belshazzar came to power. And last week the sermon was titled Fake Party. And we saw in Daniel chapter 5 uh, was actually an account of the last day of the life of King Belshazzar. The evening began with Belshazzar throwing a grand party for thousands of his nobles, 1,000 nobles. And we saw last week that this was actually a, a fake party, a fake show of strength, a fake show of celebration to create a fake sense of security among his people because the Medo-Persian army, which is an enemy of the Babylonian Empire, was at the gates. They had laid siege to Babylon and was about to defeat it. And that very night, the night of this grand and fake party, Belshazzar was killed and the Babylonian Empire came to an end. And Darius the Mede became king. And we saw in this grand 
fake party. In the middle of that party, a hand came out of nowhere, just a hand, and wrote something on the wall. When King Belshazzar saw this, he couldn't understand what was written, but he was afraid. He was terrified. He called all his wise men to read the writing, writing on the wall, but nobody could read it. Next week, next week's sermon is on the writing on the wall. This week, we're going to be looking at what happened after the hand wrote on the wall. So allow me to read that passage for us. It's going to come up for us on the screen. Daniel chapter 5, verses 8 to 17. Then all the king's wise men came in, but they could not read the writing on the wall or tell the king what it meant. So King Belshazzar became even more terrified and his face grew pale. His nobles were baffled. The queen, hearing the voices of the kings and his nobles, came into the banquet, banquet hall. May the king live forever, she said. Don't be alarmed. Don't look so pale. There is a man in your kingdom who has the spirit of the holy gods in him. In the time of your father, he was found to have insight and intelligence and wisdom like that of the gods. Your father, King Nebuchadnezzar, appointed him chief of the magicians, enchanters, astrologers, and diviners. He did this because Daniel, whom the king called Belteshazzar, was found to have a keen mind and knowledge and understanding and also the ability to interpret dreams, explain riddles, and solve difficult problems. Call for Daniel, and he will tell you what the writing means. So Daniel was brought before the king, and the king said to him, Are you Daniel, one of the exiles my father brought from Judah? as a slave. I've heard that the spirit of the gods is in you, and you have insight, intelligence, understanding, and wisdom. These wise men and enchanters were brought to me before, uh, brought before me to read this writing and tell me what it means, but they could not explain it. Now, I've heard that you are able to give interpretations and to solve difficult problems. If you can read the writing on this wall and tell me what it means, you'll be clothed in purple, have a gold chain placed around the neck, and you will be made the third highest ruler in the kingdom. Then Daniel answered the king, you may keep your gifts for yourself and give your rewards to someone else. Nevertheless, I will read the writing for the king and tell him what it means. And we're going to really focus on this last sentence. You may keep your gifts for yourself and give your rewards to someone else. Nevertheless, I will read the writing for the king and tell him what it means. Powerful men will come into our lives, each of our lives, and they will tempt us with success, with power, with, with wealth. This, could, this is very likely to happen in every single one of our careers. And they're not going to ask us to do unethical things. They're not going to, they may not ask us to do um, uh, wrong things, but they are going to demand, not just suggest, that we focus on our careers more than we focus on Jesus. Would you pray with me that this morning God would give each of us the strength through his word to say no, just as Daniel said no, when that moment comes. Let's pray as we dive into the sermon. Father, we thank you for this morning. We pray in the name of Jesus that your word will minister to us, your word will strengthen us, your word will prepare us, Lord, to live as your witnesses out there uh, in the marketplace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I'd like to draw just three things for us from the passage. We always draw three things, so this week we're going to do the same. Uh, first, 
life is not always a party. Second, why Daniel rejected the fake party. And third, only the real party can help us build an unshakable identity. Let's start with the first. Life is not always a party. If you remember, chapter 4 ended with King Nebuchadnezzar worshipping the God of the Bible. Chapter 5 begins with a different king named Belshazzar. From a literary perspective, chapter 5 immediately follows chapter 4, obviously. But historically, there is a gap of almost 20 years, a little over 20 years, between chapter 4 and chapter 5. Most historical scholars agree that there were at least three more kings between Nebuchadnezzar at the end of chapter 4 and Belshazzar, the king we are looking at in chapter 5. Nebuchadnezzar died in roughly in 561 BC before Christ after ruling for about 45 years. He was succeeded by a king named Amal Marduk. This king was succeeded by another king named Nereglisar, who ruled to 555 BC. He was then succeeded by King Nabodinus. But after ruling over Babylon for a few years, Nabodinus made Belshazzar his representative king, and he went away. As this procession of one king after another unfolded, Daniel remained a slave and a captive for perhaps 22 years. Before, this 22 years is between chapter 4 and chapter 5. From chapter 1 to chapter 4, when Nebuchadnezzar was king, Daniel had already spent 45 years as a captive under Nebuchadnezzar. Daniel's initial years under Nebuchadnezzar were tense and difficult. We, we saw that in the earlier sermons in the series. But Daniel finally won him over. He had risen to a position of influence. Under Nebuchadnezzar, he had actually become the ruler of the whole province of Babylon. Uh, you may recollect that from Daniel chapter 2. Uh, that's the verse that will come, come up for us. Nebuchadnezzar made Daniel ruler over the entire province of, of Babylon. But after Nebuchadnezzar's death between chapter 4 and chapter 5, under the reign of these four other kings, Daniel was completely forgotten. From being perhaps the most important official in Babylon, he became an absolute nobody. He became just another slave. All his remarkable achievements key result areas all delivered in our language, uh, under King Nebuchadnezzar was completely forgotten. And the reason I read this rather long passage is for us to understand and appreciate that King Belshazzar knew absolutely nothing about Daniel. He didn't even know that a man named Daniel existed. The queen had to come and remind and tell him that there's a man like this who can interpret this. So much so that when King Belshazzar invited thousands of his nobles to a party, Daniel wasn't there on the guest list. As four different kings came and ruled and went in those 22 years or so, Daniel must have fallen completely out of favor with all the subsequent kings. He spent many years not celebrated, two decades he spent, not celebrated, not well-known, not successful, not powerful, not influential. Think of how Daniel must have, spent, must have felt 
during those 22 long and hard years. Let's face it, life is not always a party. None of us, absolutely none of us, are happy and successful all the time. We all have to endure failure and struggle and disappointment and anxieties in our careers, in our relationships, pretty much in every single area of our lives. You see, all of us, we all, without exception, uh, want to be happy and successful all the time. But life doesn't turn out like that. I'm sure what Daniel endured during those 20-odd years, we've all endured in a, in, a, in a tiny little fraction of a bit. Being successful and influential one day at our workplaces and not so successful and not so influential on another day. Or if you're in the world of arts, you know, an artist, a musician, an actor, you have your own version of this nightmare. Being really famous and popular one day, in another day, you're a nobody. It's happened to all of us. Or being in a happy relationship one day and then tearing each other apart the next day. All of us, without exception, have experienced this. How crushed we feel during such seasons of failure and disappointment will tell us where our true identity is really coming from. Daniel walked through such a season of failure, a long season of failure and disappointment. How would we have coped with something like that? 20 years in the wilderness, no recognition, no appreciation of our work. We, nobody even knows who we are. Nobody even knows we know we exist. How would we have coped with something like that? Millennials and, and modern-day psychologists, they've, they've coined a word which kind of describes this. Some of us, I'm sure, are familiar with this. It's FOMO, or fear of missing out. For 22 years, Daniel was a nobody, and he could have, he would have been vulnerable to FOMO, but he didn't. FOMO is a pretty recent term coined by, as I was saying, modern-day psychologists who, who, who've researched mental disorders caused by social media. Better be careful on the time we spend with uh, Instagram. And in a paper on computers and human behavior, a bunch of psychologists, they got together and they, they described FOMO, the fear of missing out like this. A pervasive apprehension that others might be having rewarding experiences from which one is absent. A pervasive, that means forever, apprehension that others might be having rewarding experiences from which one is absent. So we may assume that FOMO is a very recent phenomenon linked to social media, but we'll be fooling ourselves if we actually believe that. FOMO existed in your heart and mind long before social media exploded onto the scene. Have you not felt 
a sharp pain of regret? Or have you not struggled with deep insecurity when your boss called a bunch of your colleagues for a meeting and left you out? That's FOMO, my friend. Or if you're in college, did you not feel, uh, how did you feel when all your friends got invited to a party and you were left out? FOMO is not just in, in college or in career. Let's talk about uh, a, a church. You know, if there's a really happening group and we're not really part of it, none of us are going to feel good about it. Now, let, let me get something straight here. I'm not at all talking of FOMO as if it is your problem. I'm talking of it as it is our problem. I struggle with it too. My context may be different, that's all. When I'm in a network of church planters or pastors, when anyone gets to do things I'm not getting to do, or if anyone else is getting to go to meetings I'm not invited to go to, I have to deal with FOMO. So FOMO is not the creation of a social media. It's a sin problem of the human heart. If we uncover layer after layer of FOMO, we will discover that beneath all that fear is the deep sin of self-worship. We experience all those fears because deep inside, we worship ourselves way too much. I would imagine that during those 20, 22 years when Daniel was, was completely out of the action in Babylon, having been very successful in the past, having been very God-honoring in the past, you see, Daniel stood up for God. He put his life at risk in facing up to this king. And what did he get as reward? He got a lot of reward, but then there were also 22 years of, of wilderness. Daniel, I'm sure, would have wrestled with the temptation of FOMO, but Daniel did not succumb to it. And it's the second point in the sermon that leads me to believe that Daniel overcame FOMO. And that's the second point I want to draw for us from the passage. How Daniel rejected the fake party. What Daniel did in this passage is incredible. It showed a remarkable strength of character. His actions in this passage show how deeply secure he is in his identity in God. Let's, let's, let's think of what happened in this passage. This grand party is going on, and Daniel has been living for 20 years with nobody ever giving him any attention. And then in, in that life of loneliness, in the life of being ignored, being rejected, in the life of being a nobody, suddenly he gets his invitation from King Belshazzar uh, to this place of grand prominence. And uh, a thousand nobles are in attendance, and Belshazzar calls Daniel. And this is what he tells Daniel in verse 16. If you can read this writing and tell me what it means, you will be clothed Kids church? No. <laughs> That's all right. That's all right. Um, uh, you will be clothed in purple and have a gold chain placed around your neck and you'll be made the third highest ruler in the kingdom. 
King Belshazzar is selling, telling Daniel, I will give you back your lost success. I will give you your position. I'll give you your fame. But remarkably, Daniel refuses to join Belshazzar, Belshazzar's fake party. Look at Daniel's answer, and that's the verse we read earlier, verse 17. Then Daniel answered the king, you may keep your gifts for yourself and give your rewards to someone else. Nevertheless, I will read the writing on the wall. What on earth is Daniel doing here? This is extraordinary. Daniel has absolutely no fear of missing out. I, I still can't get over this. I mean, if I'm starved of attention, if I'm kind of forced to live like a nobody for, for three days, you know, it, it begins to bother me. And for 20 years, 20 years, Daniel was shut off from every honor, every respect, every opportunity to show his skills, completely shut off. And then in the presence of thousand nobles, he gets this, gets this opportunity. And Daniel says, no, thank you. I don't want to be part of your fake party. The difference between Belshazzar and Daniel is amazing. Belshazzar seemingly had everything. He was the king of Babylon, but he was so weak in his identity. Daniel had absolutely nothing, but he was so strong in his identity in God. Belshazzar was a powerful king, yet he did not have the courage to face the truth. Daniel was a nobody, and yet he was able to reject the shallow and short-lived success. Belshazzar offered Daniel empty lies and empty fame. Daniel, we'll see next week, offered Belshazzar the real truth. He fearlessly read and interpreted the writing on the wall. How can it be that the king who seemed so successful on the outside was so weak on the inside? And the slave who seemed to be a failure on the outside was so secure on the inside? How can it be that the king who seemed so successful on the outside was so miserably weak on the inside? And the slave who seemed to be a failure, nobody on the outside was so secure in his identity on the inside. How was Daniel so calm, so composed, so secure through both success and failure? The answer lies in Daniel chapter 7. It lies hidden in Daniel chapter 7, but it's there. Let me read out two very short passages for, for us from Daniel chapter 7. It's going to come up uh, for us on the screen as well. Daniel chapter 7, verse 1. In the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, the timing there is very important. Even though this is Daniel chapter 7, uh, it is not written chronologically. Uh, Daniel is having this vision in the first year of the reign of King Belshazzar before this fake party. This fake party probably happened in the third year of King Belshazzar. In the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel had dream at a dream and visions passed through his mind as he was lying in bed. He wrote down the substance of his dream. And I'm going to read not the entire portion of the dream and the visions, but a small portion, about two verses. 
verse 13 and verse 14. It's going to come up for us on the screen. In my vision at night, I looked, and there before me was one like a son of man. Coming with the clouds of heaven, he approached the ancient of days. The ancient of days here is God and was led into his presence. He, that is the son of man, was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language worshipped the son of man. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away. And his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. What was this vision? And that brings us to the last thing I want to draw for us from the passage. Only the real party can build an unshakable identity. Only the real party can build an unshakable, unshakable identity. What was this vision that Daniel had all about? Let me unpack two things about the vision. The first, of course, is the phrase the Son of Man. Who is the Son of Man? Christ Jesus, of course. Over 80 times in the New Testament, the phrase, the Son of Man, is used to describe Jesus. This phrase, the Son of Man, was also the most common way in which Jesus referred to himself. Son of Man? Why is Jesus calling himself Son of Man? Because he was Son of God. God himself who had become man. And so when the Bible says son of man, anywhere it refer refers to Christ Jesus. And so Daniel is receiving a fresh vision of Jesus himself in the first year of the reign of King Belshazzar. Second, it's not just the phrase son of man that is leading us to, leading us to the conclusion that the man in the vision is indeed Jesus. It is also what is happening in the vision. In the vision, Jesus is coming with the clouds of heaven into the presence of God, referred to as the Ancient of Days. And God gives all authority and glory and sovereign power to the Son of Man, that is Christ Jesus, and says His kingdom will, not, will never be destroyed. And clearly, Jesus is the Son of Man in this vision. Most biblical scholars also say that Daniel was actually receiving a prophetic vision of the ascension of Christ Jesus. Let me explain that. Jesus, who was fully God, was born as a man through the womb of a virgin. He lived on earth, fully God and fully man at all times. During his life here on earth, he was tempted in every way, yet he was without sin. And even though he was without sin, he was crucified to death on a cross for your sins and mine. And after paying the price, taking God's punishment for all of your sins and mine, Jesus rose again from the dead. After his resurrection, from the dead. He spent 40 days with his disciples and then ascended into heaven in the clouds of heaven and sat down at the right hand side of God. And all authority was given to him. Daniel had a vision of Jesus. This vision Daniel had was a vision of the ascension of Christ that would happen 
um, several hundred years later, about 600 years later. Daniel had a vision of Jesus. Daniel had a vision of Christ, the real king, the king who has all authority, the king whose kingdom will continue forever and forever, never ending. In the midst of his life, almost 45 plus 22, 77 years almost, in the midst of all of his life with all of these kings, Daniel received a vision of the ultimate king, the king of kings and the Lord of lords, Christ Jesus. It was this revelation of Christ, the real king, that gave Daniel the courage to reject the fake party thrown by a fake king. A fresh and powerful vision of Christ empowered Daniel to say no to the fake party. A fresh vision of Christ Jesus gave Daniel a deep sense of security in God that he was able to reject the shallow, fake, and temporary glory that Belshazzar was offering him. This fresh vision of Jesus was the real party. Daniel's soul was filled with, with rapturous joy in experiencing this vision of Jesus. So much so that, that he was able to reject this fake party without a moment's hesitation. In giving this vision of Christ himself to Daniel in the first year of reign of King Belshazzar's reign, God was preparing Daniel. God was strengthening Daniel as God is strengthening us now to reject the temptations of fake power and fake success. And so let me close with one last application. How can we be so secure in our identity in God that we can overcome the fear of missing out and reject all fake parties and all fake kings? To be able to do this, we need a fresh revelation of Jesus. It is only when Christ is fresh in our hearts and fresh in our affections only when we are in love with Jesus, only then are we able to reject these fake identities and fake parties. The question is, how do we receive this fresh revelation of Jesus? How do we receive it? Today, here and now, so we can reject these fake parties. One way to answer that question would be to look at the passage we are studying and see how did Daniel receive this fresh revelation of Jesus, accepting that he received the vision, not much really is given to us. So, but if we were to modify that question just a little bit, we do have a pretty strong clue. So allow me to modify the question to, when did Daniel receive a fresh revelation of Jesus? When did Daniel receive a fresh revelation of Jesus? Did Daniel receive this fresh revelation of Jesus during the days when he was extremely busy and extremely successful after King Nebuchadnezzar appointed him as ruler of Babylon? Or did Daniel receive this fresh revelation of Christ when he was a nobody, not even on the guest list of a thousand nobles? 
Did Daniel receive a revelation of Christ when he was busy and successful in his life? Or did Daniel receive a revelation of Christ when he was a nobody and had no power or no position? It is the latter. Don't get me wrong here. I am not saying we need to be a failure. We need to fail in life, in our career, in our relationships to be able to receive a new revelation of Jesus. That's not at all what I am saying. Even though... It is in my saddest and weakest moments that I have been closest to Christ. Because it's only in my saddest and weakest moments am I humble enough to seek God. In my strong and successful moments, I'm generally too proud to seek God. I'm not saying we need to become a failure to see Christ afresh, but I am saying that we generally cannot see Christ afresh if we are busy chasing the things of this world and we just can't find any time to be quiet and alone with Jesus. So here's the application for us. Are you eager enough to receive a fresh revelation of Jesus that you will find time to go alone for a day to seek him? Are you eager enough? Am I eager enough to receive a fresh revelation of Christ, that I'm willing to take some time out, a day, half a day. Have you ever done that? Have, you ever, have we ever felt Jesus worthy enough, beautiful enough, that we will take a day out to just seek him? Have you ever thought of that? Aji and I, we would do that very inconsistently here and now, then maybe a few times the last couple of years. Uh, we would, we would uh, you know, borrow Cindy's and Asha's home or Roshni and Ben's home for a day. And while they were away at work, we would go there and just pray and spend some time. You could do that. Uh, or you can take an Airbnb in the city. Uh, right? I don't want everyone calling Roshni and Cindy, hey, can I use your room for a day? Uh, you can do an Airbnb. Just get an Airbnb. Uh, don't take your phone. Don't take your tablet. Don't take your laptop. Do not touch the TV there. Uh, a faster meal, ideally more. And now, let me also not set very high expectations. Uh, the first time you try it, and that's how it, it was for me, you're going you, to feel, what do I do? One full day by myself? What do I do? It's going to feel weird. Or we are praying and we may not really connect with Jesus immediately, right? So, so let's go prepared. How do you find um, most easy to worship Jesus? For some of us, it's just listening to worship music and praying through that. For some of us, it's listening to a sermon. For some of us, it's reading a book. For some of us, it's writing a prayer. So go prepared. Start praying for that time before. Would you slot that in your calendar now? Would you, do you feel, do you feel Jesus is worthy of that? Do you think Jesus deserves a day? Take a day off from work. You could do it on a holiday, but I'd urge you to take a day from work because that's a statement in the spiritual realms. Taking that day off from work and doing this tells the spiritual realms that I, I believe in Jesus. I trust in Jesus more than I trust in my career. Take a day off. Plan that day off. At least half a day. 
as we begin to do that, I'm not, I don't want to set expectations too high. You know, you don't want to come back seeing Jesus face to face and spending, you know, three hours talking. May happen. I don't want to rule it out. May not happen. But, but I'm willing to bet that you and I, when we do that, we will move closer. We will experience Jesus afresh. You see, Jesus did not come to die for our sins and rise again from the dead and then go and hide away from us. Is that why Jesus did all that? that? That, you know, he'll be so hard to find, he'll be so hard to talk to, he'll be so hard to have a relationship, and not at all. Jesus came and died for us and rose again from the dead so that he could reveal himself to us, so we could, have a, we could enjoy a relationship with him. He sent his Holy Spirit to come and dwell in us so that the Holy Spirit who's in us, he is in us, he is always constantly, always and constantly persuading us to draw closer to Jesus. God is always willing to give us a fresh revelation of Jesus. The question is, do we desire this? Do we desire this enough to get that day on our calendar before the end of the service? Let's pray. Father, we worship you, Lord. Lord, we... Lord. Lord, I stand and I acknowledge that apart from your Spirit, apart from your Holy Spirit, nothing can make us desire a relationship with Jesus. Nothing. Lord, apart from your Spirit, my preaching, my exhortation will come to naught. And so we pray, Lord, Spirit of God, would you come? Would you come? Would you come, Lord, and would you birth in our hearts a deeper, greater, stronger desire to seek Christ, to receive a fresh revelation of him, and by the power of that revelation of Christ, we will be able to say no, say no thank you to all the fake identities and all the fake success and all the fake power that is constantly trying to take us away from Christ Jesus. Lord, help us receive this, that we might enjoy the real party that is our relationship with Christ Jesus.